Welcome to the People and Performance Podcast, featuring guest experts from such global brands as NASA, Salesforce, the Milwaukee Bucks, Staples Professional, IBM, Mutual of America, Zero, and Simon Sinek Inc. The show offers expert insights into the strategic capabilities and behaviors needed to grow and sustain employee performance. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the People and Performance podcast. In this episode, we're going to consider ways to elevate employee performance through well-crafted DEI policies. Hey, this is Bill Bannum, your show co-host. In the pursuit of building inclusive organizations, leaders and HR professionals are increasingly recognizing the importance of measuring diversity and leveraging those findings to shape company culture and improve the performance of the org. But how do these attempts to measure diversity impact an employee's perception of the company? In this episode, we're going to explore the impact that measuring diversity and applying those findings can have on an employee's perception of their employer's brand. By embracing transparency and adopting data-driven approaches, companies can cultivate a culture that celebrates diversity, fosters inclusion, and promotes equality. Listen as we delve into how these efforts to measure diversity can shape employee perceptions, engender trust, and enhance employee satisfaction and commitment. Joining me and Chris Buelling on the show today is Janet M. Stovall, Global Head of DEI over at the Neuro Leadership Institute, a global neuroscience-backed consultancy advising companies including Boeing, Microsoft, Netflix, and Zoom on DEI and workplace culture. Chris and I hope that you enjoyed this conversation that we had with Janet. And if you do, as always, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Janet, it's great to have you here today. Can you take a moment and introduce yourself? Uh, it is great to be here. And I am Janet Stovall, Global Head of DEI at the Neuro Leadership Institute. Um, in that role, I lead our DEI practice consulting practice, and I also serve as the company's chief diversity officer. That's perfect. Thank you very much, Janet. Now uh, let's get into let's get into some of the hard-hitting topics for today. And let's start with a big workplace culture question for you before we get granular with it. What do you think when it comes to well-crafted, fully researched, and what I mean by that is including getting feedback from all levels of the org. What can well-crafted, fully researched DEI policies and practices mean for the overall performance levels of employees? Well, that's a great question. First of all, I love it when organizations actually have those kinds of policies, and unfortunately, not as many as we would like do. But it's also sort of a tricky question, because when we think about what DEI does for an organization. I'm not sure that it's the best question to lead with when we talk about the culture and what it does for everybody in business without leading with what it does for the business. And I know that sounds a little harsh and people who do what I do hate to hate sometimes to say that. But the reason I believe you have to start with the business case and what that means in terms of what it does for other employees is this. Better DEI policies should mean that everyone has a chance to contribute at their best and highest levels 
and it should remove all the barriers. It should level the playing field. That's what we believe they should do. Okay. And since every employee is a diverse employee, there's no such thing as a diverse employee. Every human being is diverse. Every employee is a diverse employee. Then anything that makes DEI better, any policy that's better should help everyone there. It should make everybody more productive. It should make everybody you know, more comfortable in the culture. And yet, and you see what's happening in DEI right now, um, like a quarter of the companies from a couple of years ago, more than a quarter of them are saying that their investment in DEI has stopped. It stayed pretty much the same way it is. And 18% have actually decreased what they're putting into DEI. And there's a recession coming. Um, and according to McLean and company, it's not even, DEI is not even one of HR's top priorities for 2023. So, Diversity policies are facing cuts. We're in a very polarized society where people are kind of pushing back on this as legal approaches to it. You can have the best quality, the best crafted policies in the world, but if you cannot prove that they improve the bottom line, it's going to be really hard to hold on to them. They'll be the first things to go and then they don't benefit anybody. So I'm a big believer that you start with a business case. You prioritize diversity organizationally then you leverage it across the organization with inclusive habits, and then you sustain it with systems of equity. You have to prove that diversity is a resource. And DEI programs that do that are the ones that help everybody. That benefits, it benefits the company, it benefits everybody. And, and you know what else it does? When it's benefiting the company, it also benefits the culture. It also makes people more productive. It also gives them all those wonderful things that DEI does because you can't get to that business outcome without a culture to support it. Love it. Love it. Thank you very much. Okay. So the Neuroleadership Institute works with such companies as Boeing. You might have heard of those listeners and others you might have heard of too, like Microsoft and Netflix and Zoom on their DEI and workplace culture, of course. For those organizations, Janet, currently trying to measure diversity and, and some of those business outcomes that you spoke about just a moment ago, what lessons can they take from the likes of Boeing and Netflix, et cetera, to improve their DEI initiatives? Well, the reason those companies reach out to their leadership institute as opposed to anybody else is because we start with the brain. We focus on the brain and how it works and how understanding how it works and understanding how humans function at that most elemental level allows you to change behavior a lot faster, if you understand that. So we talk about having a brain-friendly approach, and that's what they did by hiring us. So a brain-friendly approach to culture and DEI balances key factors in individual performance, like cognitive capacity, motivation, unconscious bias, those things that are natural to individuals. And it balances those with the key levers of wide-scale culture change. We, Our model for that is something called PHS, which is priorities, habits, and systems. If you balance those things, you can make change. And that's what organizations look to us to do. And that's what we help them do. So when you're thinking about the individual, you need to make sure that they can actually do the stuff, remember the stuff, handle the stuff that you want them to do. And that's where capacity matters. You got to tap into their motivation and you got to connect it to business outcomes, which I mentioned earlier. Boeing did that, for example, by coming up with a, a series of habits and they presented them to their employees in a way that made them memorable and, as we say, sticky. So they were able to scale. They were able to make it happen and people could remember it. They could uh, 
attached to it. It was easy for him to understand. That's how habits happen. That's how happens get done. That's how habits get entrenched. Microsoft did it by relating people to DEI in a way that they could relate to. They had a lot of DEI stories. They built a whole library of DEI stories. Once you figure out how the brain works and once you figure out what motivates people to do things and once you help them tackle the unconscious bias that gets in the way of them doing it, then you got to align your organizational priorities, habits and systems with the larger ecosystem. That's how it makes it work. That's what all what Boeing and all of the other organizations that have come to us are doing. They're looking at how people actually are, looking at how systems actually change, and they're aligning those things. And that's how they're successful in scaling DEI. Janet, that's great stuff. So I have a question for you. In 60 seconds or less, how can measuring diversity impact an employee's perception of, of their company? Well, measuring diversity gives objective proof to whatever it is you've promised. Um, so many companies start off with wonderful diversity, equity, inclusion statements. They put them on the website. You know, they talk about fairness and the desire to create equity, but then it stops there. And it's really hard to have credibility for what you're saying if you can't ever prove it. So measuring it gives employees a real sense that, yes, we're doing something. We've promised you. So we set a goal. We've set a goal that we are going to try to reach and we're going to let you know how well we're going towards that goal. Measuring also creates what I think is the most important thing in the success of any DEI initiative is accountability. And when people are accountable, things get done. And that's what employees want to see. They don't want to just hear you talking about it. They want to see it getting done. So they want to know that people have, people have some reason, some incentive to get it done. It also helps employees understand what they need to do. Because one of the biggest questions I get is, what can I actually do? Well, when you take DEI initiatives and find objective ways to measure them, you can roll that down and make it part of other pe everybody's individual job during the day. So they get to be engaged in it. They get to see it happening and they get to make it happen. And all those things together, making it real so you can prove that you're doing it, making people accountable and making it something that individuals can lean into, do and understand and see the effects of are all the things that make DEI important to an employee. Yeah, that is that is beautiful. I, I appreciate that, your methodology and your thought process behind that and, and seeing it impact the organizations and the individuals. That's wonderful. So I have a question, you know, because DEI measurements came out, you know, in some regards a long time ago. Um, you know, it's been it's had a resurgence just recently that has been long overdue. But as we've matured and we, as we continue to mature, what tools of measurement for DEI no longer work? Well, the tools themselves, um, I don't think of the issue. It's more a question of what are they actually measuring? And the reality is most people still measure, you know, basically the, the basic things that were involved with affirmative action, race, gender, and that's pretty much it. Sometimes they measure veteran status. Sometimes they measure things that um, just basically things they're legally required to do. And of course, gender and race are two that they can kind of get easily. Gender is still the primary focus globally. Globally, that's what people look at. But di And different ethnicities are more specific in the U.S. But the things we don't measure, for example, are neurodiversity. Um, because we don't measure the things that we can't see. And that's understandable because you have to ask people to agree to give you information on things that you can't see. 
And if they're in an environment where they don't really trust what you're going to do with that information, they're not going to be inclined to give it to you. So we still measure the things that we can see. We still measure the things that um, the government, our governments say that we have to measure. What we're not measuring is inclusion. We're not measuring anything other than the bodies in the building. We're not measuring what actually happens and whether or not we're actually leveraging the diversity that we have. We're not measuring accountability. We're not, as in we don't have the stats there to figure out whether people are doing what they're supposed to do. And if think people aren't accountable, they don't prioritize things. We're also not disaggregating the data. Um, when diversity first came into the workplace, it came in as affirmative action, which of course now is possibly on its way out. And that made it very clear what you had to measure. As diversity grew, the concept of diversity grew beyond race. It grew to include gender. It grew to include a lot of other different things. And that's a wonderful thing. That's what we want. But we then stopped disaggregating that data. So we don't know, in general, what's going on with each group. And different groups have different needs. They have different challenges. And if you just kind of have diversity writ large, it's kind of hard to figure out how to fix things. You have to disaggregate the data. And we're not doing that. And the biggest thing that we're not doing is we are not tying DEI to business goals. I know I'm a broken record about that, but I'm going to keep coming back to it. If you don't tie DEI to business outcomes, you can't guarantee that DEI initiatives will continue to be funded, resourced, um, that they'll continue to exist. And you can't do it if you don't start by figuring out what your outcome is. You have to know what you're solving for with DEI so that you can know what you're going to tie it to. And you see the stats out there of what DEI does, but they are all correlative. They're not causative because people aren't making that connection. So what, you know, I'm talking about what we're not doing, but those are the things that we need to be doing. Those are the things that should be happening now. And we still need to measure basic things like gender and race and status. We need to measure all those things, but there's so much more that we could measure. And there's so much more that we should measure. And it's simply a matter of doing what you say you're going to do so that people feel safe to volunteer information that you can't see, letting people know that when they do volunteer that information, something happens with it, making people accountable and making sure that people understand the value of what they do to the business. Thank you, Janet. Okay. The next couple of questions are questions that we ask of all of our guests and um, there may be a wee bit of repetition from what you've said so far but that's okay because we collate all these and we do clever things with them um, so the the first of the two standardized questions that we ask of everyone goes as follows in one minute or less can you share one piece of advice or some direction that you were given by a mentor leader or colleague that inspired you to perform at a higher level in your career Absolutely. This is advice that I got way back in college um, before I ever got into this career. Um, I was doing a workshop with, I was part of a workshop with a gentleman who did a race awareness workshop. And I was angry all the time in college. Never thought I'd be in this space, but I was angry about what I saw. And he told me one day, he goes, you know what? You're the angriest little black woman I have ever seen in my life. He goes, why don't you start, stop getting mad and start getting meaningful? And that piece of advice has driven everything I've done since this point. That piece of advice is why I now call myself a diversity pragmatist. I look for ways to really move the needle on this stuff, take it out of the hearts and minds arena and put it in the 
arena of behavior change, making a real difference. I'm tired of being mad. I want to get meaningful. I've held on to that my whole life. Well, that's one of the most powerful answers Chris and I have ever had on this show. I'd say. <laughs> That's, that's I, I would agree with inspiring. that. That was just beautiful. I love that. I, matter of fact, as soon as you started saying that, I'm like, oh, diversity pragmatist. I, I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what I, I, I'm self I'm self coined. But it really is about and that's why I'm at NLI, quite honestly, um, because we started when I found an organization that said, let's start with the brain. Let's start with the thing that is unequivocally, you know, there that we have to deal with. That's what I was interested in. So I consider myself a diversity pragmatist. That's what I call myself. And that's kind of the way I operate. Well, this is funny because this is probably the most conversation we've had after one of those pieces. So online, <laughs> and hopefully it stays in the, in our broadcast here. So, all right. Um, I love it when you have a well moment, right? That's why we do these, Chris. Um, okay. Next question for you that we ask of all of our guests goes as follows from a culture and people processes perspective, Janet, what does a high performing company mean to you? Well, I have to admit, I'm going to be a little biased in my answer. But um, for me, the ideal and most high performing culture and company is one where diversity is being leveraged to solve business problems. Because at the end of the day, um, we're in business. And business has two things that it's supposed to do make money and save money. And anything that contributes to that has value. And because I believe in diversity as a passion, I want to see it funded. I want to see it changed. I believe that business is best positioned to completely um, dismantle systemic inequity better than any other entity that exists, better than churches, better than community organizations, better in some ways than even federal governments. Business can do that because business is committed to the bottom line and therefore it has the power, it has the money, it has the resources to really make a difference in society. So I wanna see organizations look at DEI as a valuable resource, fund it, expand it, leverage it, show its real value. And I think they'll perform better. In fact, I'm 100% convinced they'll perform better. And because they perform better, if enough of them do that, we can actually dismantle the inequity that so many of our, that's so much the foundation of so many of our societies. And in conclusion, we have um, just want to say thank you so much for being with us today in this these few moments that we've been able to share together and learn more about you and your thoughts and actions and work that you're working on, which are brilliant and and, and you know needed by many that are out here. So last question is, how can we learn more about you, Janet, you diversity pragmatist, you? <laughs> well, there are a couple of places. I'm all over, of course, the Neuroleadership Institute's website. I'm all over there. Quite a bit of what I've written and spoken about is there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and I have a personal website, which is pretty easy to remember, JanetStovall.com. Great. Thank you so much for being with us today. We both Bill and I have enjoyed this. And um, like we said, we had this little epiphany moment, this wow moment. So thank you so much for everything you're doing, uh, not just giving us this time today, but also in the work that you do within the field and with the clients that you're working with and the influence that you have on the lives of the workers that are inside those, those groups. So thank you very much today. Thank you for having me. Been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the People and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like, 
comment and subscribe.